Hello and welcome to the Cynic Weekly. I am your host, Lloyd McCaffrey. My God, I pronounced my own name wrong. McCaffrey, even. Um, and today I'm joined by a man making his debut. Um, it's Aaron Conley. Hi, Lloyd. How are you doing? Um, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. I'm a long-time fan, long-time listener, a very casual contributor. Listen, man, it's good to have you because, um, you know, these guys have been churning out the same old shite for years, so it's, it's good to have somebody fresh on. Um, speaking of old shite, it's uh, Chris Lamani. Thanks, Lloyd. Uh, as you can see, I'm uh, growing out the tennis ball to get a post-COVID cut. Also, the, 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 the lockdowns had a poor effect on my general demeanour. Um, you've made me feel even lower than I already did. Thanks very much, mate. <laughs> Fantastic. And... Uh, the man with uh, the most beautiful paintings in his, uh, in his household. We don't know if he painted them or who painted them, but it's Alan Edgar. How's it going, Louis? It's a very generic painting. I can confirm I did not paint it, but I'd be happy to amend it if you'd like to be painted into it. Yeah, well, you ever watched that episode of The Sopranos when Tony got the picture painted with a horse and then Polly changes it and makes him look like a... I, just pop, I could pop you on the wee bridge there. Yeah, put me in there, it's fine. It might be unusual, but I can certainly give it a go. We could get Frankie to do it. Um, anyway, this well, this time last week, uh, we we had the the Celtic Weekly looking ahead to the Champions League qualifier, and I said last week, you know, next week we'll look ahead to the next round, you know, or heaven forbid, we'll talk about going out to the Champions League again, and you know, I made a joke of it, um, and I feel like Cup Broadfoot trying to cook, a, cook an egg because I've got egg on my face. We're out of the Champions League once again before it even started. Um, out at our earliest point since 2005. Um, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about regards this game, not just the game itself, but I think the aftermath of it, um, you know, where it is in the context of recent years and, and our standing in Europe in general. Um, but let's let's talk about the game first off. Um, we started um, controversially with Barkas and goals, Ilhamid, uh, Julian Ayer, Greg Taylor, uh, Scott Brown, Cal McGregor, Olivia and Cham, and then James Forrest, El Yunusi, and up front, if you can call it that, is uh, Ryan Christie. No recognised striker. Um, we've we've all debated it, we've all talked about it, you know, in pubs and, and with friends since then and on group chats. Um, now that the dust has settled a wee bit, what do you feel about that lineup? How we went about things in that game? And was it as simple as we didn't play a striker, therefore we lost the game? No. I don't think so. Uh, I think I mean, we, Alan and I talked about this in the aftermath and I think we've all been through um, the WhatsApp group and, and explaining it. I, I thought the system wasn't particularly set up well. I thought it really the main problem was, Christy, you could tell that his movement wasn't natural. He's a midfielder, so he doesn't move like a striker. So even in points where we, we were creating things and we had a lot of possession... Um, it seemed to come to a dead end because of, of who was up front. Generally speaking, um, I think he got it dead wrong. I think we'll obviously come and talk about um, the Motherwell game. He doubled down and he played Christie up front again. And, you know, I, I think because we won 3-0, Lennon might think that justifies things. And he said, 
But for me, it doesn't because when we moved to two up front and put the natural striker in the park, we looked a completely different side. So no, I don't think it's just as simple as that we played Christie up front. But I think that was was the key mistake, and um, it should be haunting Lennon more than I think it is. Um, I'm not sure that he's of the same of opinion as the rest of the Celtic support, but it was a horrendous mistake in paying dearly for it. I, I tend to agree with that, Samani, in that especially the point around Hunt and Lennon more. I think it's, there's been such a blase approach to the press conferences since. Um, all, all this, you know, blowing smoke up people's arses and stuff and, and saying that the performance wasn't actually that bad. And it's all right you having 20-odd shots, but, you know, when 10 of them are Christie hitting pot shots for the edge of the box, and I'm not going to overly criticise Christie, but I think you look at, and there's obviously some stats guys within the cynic, but you look at some of the stats, you can get caught up in that a bit much. The reality of the performances, we were slow. It was tortured to watch. I seen a heat map with Christine and Cham almost occupying the same positions despite one meant to be playing up top and one meant to be playing off the, the other. And that just sort of shows what the performance was like. You know, I don't want to beat down on Christie too much because I have on Twitter and stuff recently. Um, but I mean, he's hung out to dry there playing up top in such a, a high pressure game and it hasn't worked. And to be and to double down on it and try it again at the weekend and it didn't work. And but for you know a bit of brilliance by Callum McGregor taking the game by scruff of the neck before half time, you know Lennon gets off with it and he makes the changes at half time. But if we go on at half time now, now I think he probably faces even more criticism. Uh, and and Carl McGregor and James Forrest probably save his skin a wee bit. And that stubbornness is just so frustrating. It's taking me back to you know the old Lennon years that that we haven't really seen in the the eighteen months or so since he came back in. I think we've seen that regression back to feeling that way again. Well, just the stubbornness to to try and you know prove himself right when he was so clearly wrong on both occasions. I I, I think the, the the phrase there at spot on is hung out to dry uh, with Ryan Christie because he really has come in for a lot of sticks. Even before he, even before he was played up front last week, you know, in that ten position, we were even starting to have discussions, you know, about where where is the best position for Ryan Christie because. He's not really had a great start to the season, you know. Even playing in that number ten role, he's maybe just lacked that little bit of subtlety in terms of, you know, having maybe instead of taking, you know, those ten shots, maybe, you know, you know, half that number and try to thread balls through, because that's really what you associate a ten with. But I, th- I think then to put him up front is, is one thing. Then put Olivia and Cham in at number ten as well, and I think this is something maybe people kind of forget you just think he's a midfielder you can play anywhere and that kind of that's six eight or ten i really don't think olivia chams i don't think he's a particular depth number 10 i think he's arguably the best midfielder we have in our squad but he's not a number 10 i think he likes to pick up the ball deep and drive with it the one thing i've noticed a lot with him is when he receives a ball in that 10 space he's not a great turner on the ball Maybe he's that awareness, you know, of looking over his shoulder to see. A lot of the time he pops it back because he's not comfortable turning. And that's what you need to do as a 10 because your job's to unlock. And I think it's just symptomatic of just too many guys playing out of position or not playing in exactly where they want to play. And I think you can get away with that. But a lot of times you will get caught out or you certainly get caught out more often than you should. And I think that's what we see against Ferris Varos. Um, and it's... The ramifications are, are huge and I, we can't let anybody play them down. You might feel a wee bit better than you did last week and I certainly feel a wee bit better today than I did last Thursday. But the ramifications of this will now go on and we're going to feel them probably over the next 
six to eight weeks when this window's open. I, I have no doubt about that. Well, you know, the whole um, the, the whole debate around the striker, the fact that we didn't start one, it's only compounded and made worse by the fact that we had two on the bench. And then, you you know, Lennon waits until, what, the 70, 78th minute, I think, until he brings on uh, a jetty to come on and try and do something. Um you know, we'll get to the we'll get to the kind of anger and, and ramifications in a wee minute. But in terms of the, the game itself and, and individuals, I thought there was quite a lot of kind of individual stories happening. The likes of El Hamid, for example, who you know we were all well, certainly in the cynic group chat. A lot of us were saying how good he looked and and how you know how positive at least he was. This was, you know, pretty much it was one-one after obviously Christie did get the goal, as as Lennon tried to say. Um, but you know, Elhamid looked good; he looked very good. But he's at fault for the goal that that puts us out of Europe. And you have Scott Brown, who I think again he's not had a single good game since we came back, and looked completely off it. He looked lost. The game was passing him by. It was a shame in many ways to see that he was hopeless. Um, and a number of other players that just failed to perform. They had flashes, maybe. El Yunusi had flashes and, and, you know, was probably one of the closest to pass marks. But, you know, overall, players let let us down, I think, over the piece. But obviously comes to the, the blame game. Where is there a difference between where you put the blame now today as opposed to where you put the blame in the heat of it after the game last week? And if so, what is it? I think, I think I said this again in the aftermath and we've touched on it. I think the, the focus was largely on some of the players other than Lennon before the Ferenc Faros games, whereas I think a lot of the support was now pointed to the manager and said, what are you doing? There was a, there was a kind of a feeling that some of the players maybe weren't up to speed or they weren't at top form and we were picking out individuals in that. The blame for me in this still sits with Lennon, but I still think that you can point the finger at some players and how they've performed this season. I don't want to start naming scapegoats, but I'm going to start naming players and people will say that they're scapegoats, so hey-ho, we're going to do it anyway. Brown, you're absolutely right. This Thus far this season has not played, it has not given an, an impressive performance. For me, he's got it the wrong way around, Lennon. He's starting him. I think he still has to have a presence in the squad. I don't know if we should be starting him, more bringing him on to maybe try and stead games if he's able to do that. I don't even know that just now, but for me, having him in that team as a regular starter is causing his problems because he looks well off the pace. He looks at least a yard short and you're rightly, you're rightly kind of speculating is that gone now because of his age? So that's an issue there. Well, there's, there's been so many false dawns with him, though. You know, like, we're going to be right at some point, but it looks as if this is the time, doesn't it? I mean, that has to be the time. Yeah, I mean, I'll let you come in a second, Alan. In fact, I won't even go on and talk about some of the other players I'm going to pull up. But there is a feeling about that. I mean, I've been wrong. I mean, I wrote Scott Brown off several times and I actually stopped doing it because of the amount of times he came back and proved me wrong. Just a feeling now this time though that lockdown and everything that happened and how um you know it came to a stop at his age, you know, has it caught up with him now? We've got the international break coming up. Normally you think that's good for Brown to get a break, whereas I'm thinking in my head, you probably need games if we're going to see if you've got anything left. 
So I am worried that the tank is empty for Scott Brown. And but what I'm more worried about is that Lennon won't do anything about it. I, I think just you're hitting on something there. Uh, it's kind of quite pertinent when when you're speaking about Scott Brown. Scott Brown will have been throughout lockdown. I'd imagine he looks like he's come back in you know good physical shape. I don't think he's the he, he seems to be a good pro. Um, and he'll know his body, he'll know his age. But see, every time a player comes back for just a normal pre-season, so they might be off six, seven weeks, you know, if they're lucky, they come back, they'll have kept themselves taken over. They won't really know until they're back with the, with the wider group. You won't know whether you've still, whether you've lost a yard or whether you've lost half a yard. You never know that until maybe that moment comes and you just feel as if, you know, player's getting away from me, I'm maybe struggling a wee bit. It's not a case of you can say at the end of the season because at the end of the season, especially after last season, Scott Brown, I probably felt quite good, especially the run that we had last year. But when you come back and, and then you now add in the fact that it has been such a long time, it happens to every single player in their career where they come back and they maybe realise that. Um, and it, it might well be that time for Scott Brown. But as Samani says, what we've got here is, is an issue where he, he can't now come out and say, you know, actually, I'm, I'm I'm really miles off. I'm going to take a step back here. Where in the midst of a season, he's your club captain. There has to be a role there, but there really has to be a kind of serious discussion over how those minutes are managed, how the team is managed, and really what is best for the eleven to start every but week. And it's, it's surely not his. It's not his responsibility to say that, though, is it, Alan? It's not up to him to say, "Look, I can't do that." Surely it's his manager. Yeah, of, of course. Um, you know, but you hope it doesn't get to that stage where a manager has to pull you up. I think a lot of you know club captains over the years have, have tended to make the decision for themselves. Um, you know, you think back to some of the captains we've had; they have had that kind of phase out period. I would imagine that. I, I don't think if I was making a prediction, I don't think we're going to go through a full year of Scott Brown starting. I, I don't see. That. Um, I know everybody thinks that's the case, but that's not for me. I, I, I do think Neil Lennon will make the call at some point. Scott Brown looks like a 35-year-old who hasn't kicked a ball for five months. And it's exactly how you'd imagine someone of that age to look. And it just feels like, you know, a normal pre-season itself takes maybe three or four week break where you can have a small break and keep yourself ticking over. It just feels like this time, that, that break of that length of period is just ate away at him. And I don't doubt physically he's probably hitting the similar numbers that he's always hit. But that match sharpness and that sort of, you know, the fast movements, the getting back and chasing after players, that's what he looks like he's really lacking. I've got no doubt there's a place for Scott, Scott Brown in the squad and they'll continue to be. But there needs to be a point in time where we say we're going to start phasing this guy out. He's had 13 years at the very top level with Celtic playing 40, 50, 60 games most seasons. I mean, he's not got long left of that and I would like to see someone start to, to step in. And it, it amazes me because Lennon strikes me as the type of person who wants his field to be a bit more dynamic. You know, you look at Turnbull coming in, Christie being a mainstay, McGregor. I think Lennon wants three people in there who all have legs, and the less and less legs Scott Brown has, it just feels like it's a natural progression now that, that someone's going to step in. And I think that's probably what kills his charm a little bit, is that he, he has this laboured approach almost, where he doesn't look as industrious, and that's potentially why he, he finds himself on the bench when he shouldn't be in terms of ability. We've got we've got a couple of questions um, on Twitter on on the subject of Brown. Um, Jamie sixty seven asks, "Has the Brown situation ever been more any means necessary?" 
you know, I coined the phrase, the phrase one of many, one of one of my many hits, so many. Um, he's got to go by any means necessary to get him on that flight to Australia if there's, uh, if there's still a, a club looking for him. Um, all through the huddle. When it, there was a question on Twitter, but basically you you just took it yourself. And, that was the first one. And one of your two-bob phrases. Aye, it's my other account. One, one, one of my many other accounts. Um, all through the huddle, I said, no, it wasn't him. Sorry, my bad. Um, Bielsa Ball asked, do you trust Lennon to replace Brown um, and Forrest? Um, Alan, sorry, sorry about that. But um, firstly, Brown, do you, do you trust Lennon to deal with uh, Brown and, and replace him? Do you think he's going to do that? I mean, Alan, you're alluding to uh, the fact you don't think he'll be a starter for the season. You'd, you'd hope that Lennon can see what we all see and he's not just blinded by who it is. I, I think the thing is that Managers are. We like to think that they're more, they're more mature than players, and that they've learned more over their career. But ultimately, managers are just like players. They're they're, they're self-serving, and and as well they should be. And Neil Lennon will know that if he wants to have a a long future career at Celtic, or even you know even think short term than that, if he wants to be here next year, he knows he needs to win the league. And I think the best chance he's got of winning the league is to. I'm not saying get rid of Scott Brown but he needs to rotate at the very least and I think you will see that I, I think I think just looking at the performance he's not been there and I think he will do that and I think it is something it's it's a bit of a pressing issue it's one of two kind of pressing issues in our first team at the moment um, and, and I would imagine that they'll be putting a lot of thought in it over this international break I think there's two things here that a lot of Celtic supporters are calling for It's called, a lot of people were calling for Neil Lennon's head a lot of people were calling for Scott Brown to go out the team I think the destabilising effect of both of them would have... I think it would have to get a lot worse to force her hand to do that. So I think Alan's spot on, uh, and I think Ian is spot on in terms of you know how he looks, how Brown looks like a 35-year-old who's not played football in five months. And Alan's spot on in terms of saying that you need to manage it. You can't just take... He's played at the top level for 13 years. We're beginning to suspect that he can't keep doing that. But the one thing you can't do is just whip them straight out of there. So it has to be managed properly. My my gut feeling is that he should come in at the opposite end of games a lot more. I think that Scott Brown's presence, when you know, if we've got in front or whatever, can you know might be a stabilising factor, a calming factor. But I think starting them um, is is still going to be the problem. As you as you mentioned, there people were calling for Lennon. Well, you said yourself, somebody in the, the WhatsApp group that you would sack him. Um, and then kind of shat it a wee bit for that so I'm just going to come in here I said that in the aftermath of the game would you sack him? Aye, aye. sack him tonight you'd sack him tonight? Aye I was about to pop in as well and say that I wanted to point out that nobody would stake any joy in you know the idea that a club captain might be removed from his perch but looking at Louis' face right now when he's talking about the captain and the manager I really I don't know if I can say that on everybody's behalf Fuck them. Uh, they sentimentality when you're going for this 10. Aye, you're an orchestral lager and all, mate. That's the sort of pattern you're coming out with. <laughs> I was about oh, to you won't hear me say it often, but in fairness to Lennon, I think early on, the first couple of games, we've seen him start to take Brown off and stuff, and we all got that false dawn that that's what was coming. Um, so I hope that we start to see that happen again, where we start to see him slowly rotated out of the team. Uh, and if not, I think then we've got a huge problem for the rest of the season if we're asking Brown to play 50-odd games. See, what I will say is, see, at the start of next season, 
I hope Brown's not a first pick for us and I hope Neil Lennon's not the manager. I'm comfortable saying that, but the idea that you just tip them out because you've had a few cans tonight, Lou. <laughs> no, but, so, but well, on, the, on the flip side then, you're confident that Neil Lennon will deliver the title this year? Yes. Look at the hesitation, you fucking shat it there. Um, and again, and it's another point I've made time and time again, we we, we tend to project our negativities uh, as positives in the Rangers side. That we assume if we're not playing well that Rangers are going to capitalise on that. Who the fuck mentioned Rangers? Well, they, well, it's either us or them oh, in the league. You're obsessed. Me. Um, <laughs> listen, um, I've got enough to beat them. Do you not, Louie? No. Uh, I think we've got the, the players in the dressing room, but I just, you know, the manager will probably pick a stupid team and, and screw it up. I mean, you see if he loses the game against them. I mean, come I'm on. I'm sure you will cope with that rational. I, I will shit the bed big time. I'll be protesting outside Celtic Park if that happens. <laughs> right, lads, Aaron, Alan, come on. Voice of reason here. He's, he's getting all excited. He's, he's nah. on here. I think I think Lennon will deliver the title. I'll go on record and say that. I think Celtic will win the league. Um, I'm not convinced by them over the other side of the city. And I've not even watched them. I wouldn't bother myself to watch them. But I'm not going to write them off massively or, or be any overly disparaging towards them. But I'm not convinced by them. I think they're set up well in terms of defensively, which is why they've not conceded goals. I think we've seen that in the European run last year anyway. Um, I think that's how Gerrard's he's built from the back and, and made them strong defensively. Um, you know, one and two in LB Aki's beating St Mullen and St Johnson at home doesn't do enough to make me panic, to be honest. Absolutely, I would I would agree with that. Um but just lastly on, on the fact that we would not have what I'm not saying that they're good, <laughs> I'm just saying Lennon shite somebody. Whereas you're like, oh I love Lennon, Lennon will do the ten. He'll do eleven and twelve. Sound you sound like a man who wants us to lose the league to prove point. Aye. No, 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 I don't want that. I don't want but that. What I, mean, what I would say is uh, I would happily have Lennon deliver it and lift the trophy and then say that's me done. I'll not be back. Aye, that, that'd be nice. Like, you, you remember where he said this is the nice. end, this is just the beginning. Now it's to, now, now he should win now the 10 and say, yeah, this isn't the beginning, this is the end. <laughs> and like I mean, there's part of me that thinks like there's no many other Celtic people out there who who would annoy every other club so much by lifting the 10 trophy. So I think Absolutely. there's a nice aspect and there's a, you know, there's that emotional tie to him, but I'd be happy if he went to the end of the season having won the league. Alan, you said earlier that we can't, we can't forget about the, the kind of, the, the enormity of what happened on Wednesday just because we're a week down the line and, and we're kind of moving on in terms of football. Um, going out of Europe at that stage, you know, it's, other than winning the league every year, it's your second biggest kind of target is obviously to get into the Champions League. It's massive for a number of reasons. You mentioned the transfer market, trying to keep players, trying to attract players, financially the money that we've lost out on, and just the pedigree. I mean, we're a club that we we all like to believe that we're a Champions League club and, and we're one of the, the best clubs in the world in, ter- you know, in terms of not just support but football. Um, but there's no there's no doubt that there has been a, a real decline in recent years. You know, three years now we've not qualified. We're going out earlier and earlier in the, the qualifying phases. That's not Neil Lennon's fault over the over the piece. You know, that's not Scott Brown's fault over the piece. Um, it's a combination of a lot of things. Do you think 
you know, as the board and, and Peter Law, personally, my, my opinion is I think they've got to shoulder really the responsibility of the long-term decline that we've seen. Maybe it is that in recent years we, as a club, have prioritised domestic achievements rather than European achievements. And if that was the case, I would like to hear it. I would like us to come out at the end of this season. I think a lot of people believe that Lowell will probably leave at the end of the season if we do retain. I'm not so sure he will, but I would like it to happen. I would like some fresh fresh ideas, uh, you know, a fresh direction from the club, some new people come in rather than the, the kind of old Tories on the board that, you know, just seem to be doing things their way all the time. But see if they came out and said, look, we've, we've cleaned up domestically, we've dominated for a long time, we still want to dominate, but we want to get the club back into a serious footing in, in terms of European competition. And that's going to be the objective driving the club over the next four or five years. But that would that would be great news for us all. But what's the likelihood of that happening? I think what they've tried to do is maintain domestic, you know, a, a complete you know, last ten trophies won by us. So they'll point to that and say that that's a success, and it is, and and we've all enjoyed it. Underneath that, though, and and when you kind of look a little bit deeper. We've not really, for a club of our size, budget, turnover and stature, we don't, in my opinion, and it is just an opinion and people will be disagreeing already, which is fine, but we don't have the the structure of a proper modern European football club. And I think I think even in this window, you're starting to see it. I, I feel as if in this transfer window, what we've got is we've got a, we've got a little bit of tug of war going on between continuing with what we've kind of done over the last few years and people get hung up on the players that don't work. We'll always have them. You'll always buy players that don't work. But think of some of the players that we've brought in and some of the players that we've moved on. That's the model. That really is the model. And that's what, you know, making the Champions League is really important. But we've not done it in, you know, most years now. You know, it's it it's, tends to be the exception when we do make the group stages now. And the way that we've covered that loss is because in the transfer market, we've been fortunate, we've scouted well, whatever you call it. But in this window, I think you've, you're have you already seeing a slight you know, tug of war, as I said, between signing players that we think will be enough for us domestically now and actually buying guys that might take six months, you know, nine months to bed. You know, guys that, like Christopher Iyer, etc. You know, he's, he's the big one that we're all talking about. Okay. But, <clears throat> but what a fantastic signing. And, that, and that's the kind of guy that you really want to be buying more of in different positions, but I feel as if there is. I think it's all tilt for 10. And you know what? I'm fine with that at this point in time. I, I can live with that this year, but I won't take that next year. And I think a lot of ticket holders like myself and similar positions will want to know next year that actually we're going to put proper structures in place so that we can do a wee bit more than just, you know, make the Champions League once every five years. Um, with the budget we've got, we can certainly do a lot better, I think. I've really enjoyed the domestic success. Keep throwing it in my face and I'll continue to be happy. I, I don't doubt that. I'm probably a hypocrite in that sense. But I would like to see us invest a wee bit more and do a wee bit more in European football um, because simply last week is, is embarrassing. It's happened more and more often. 
Erin, just just before you come in, Kieran on the athletic chat says, um, has the club as a whole taken the fans for granted with all the money we've gave them for season tickets, merchandise, etc., and be expected to pay for a ticket package for the Europa League? Probably, we've been let down yet again from boardroom level to players. So that, I think there's, I think that's understandable. I mean, I didn't. I didn't manage to get a season ticket, although on the waiting list. But you know, a lot of guys in the cynic group chat um, paid for season tickets. You go out of Europe on Wednesday night, and you must feel like uh, you must really feel like you've been let down after everything you've done. You, keep, you know, to give the the club the best possible chance, it, it feels as if there's, there's failings here. I'm going to, I might get a bit of stick for this, but Alan, you speak about the model, and the model is bring in players that we can sell on, and that has been the model for a long, long time. And what we're starting to see this season uh, is a reactionary process in the transfer window where you look at the players that we're now trying to bring in, you know, you look at Duffy and some of the other ones linked, it just feels a bit like it's short-termism. I would rather have, you know, and I know there's a lot of fans that are out there saying go and spend seven, eight million quid on players and get them in and, and, and that's it. Make sure that identify them in and they work straight away or most of them will less on projects and I understand that and maybe I would like it feels like Lennon's maybe not as connected with the recruitment team as well looking at Sorrow, Klamala these players coming in and not really getting an opportunity it feels like he's not as connected as it should be to that process I think I would rather we continued with bringing in players of the Van Dyke and players like that and I know you're not going to hit gold every time like Van Dyke like Ayer will probably be like Edward but the reactionary way that we're going about the transfer window now chasing about loan signings for and by the way I'm desperate to get Duffy in the door right but it just feels like it's a step away from the model because there's a bit of panic because of what's happened I would rather in January we had paired better we got four or five in the door who were going to have time to grow into it than we now find ourselves even the Ayeti deal the, the way that they've handled that and eventually got them in the door just go and do that in the first place if you identify them don't be so reactionary to the fans or whatever it is that, that's changing that or the results maybe not going as well where you say we're trying to get them on loan but now we're just going to buy them anyway we're just changing our minds and we'll get them in I just feel like there's been a slight change because there's this such focus on it I would like to be the club to be a bit more you know future planned you know succession planning we got it perfect ironically with Dembele and Edward and I think that was just a bit of luck but I would like to see more of that where you have the player there that you know when you step in once a player moves on. I, I would agree with both of you in terms of the model I'd like the club to be taking and, and how we develop and, and where we go. But this is all consuming this season. This The 10 has just consumed the support in the club for so long that I think this was inevitable, to be perfectly honest. See the, the root and branch change that we're talking about in terms of our approach, in terms of um, our managers and the squad and all that. The watershed moment for that is this summer. Uh, that, that's what's going to happen. I, I, I think, this can, obviously, the Ferenc Farron's game was a bit of a disaster. And I think in terms of where the squad is just now, I, I think it's inevitable that we're going to do that. And, and Duffy, as much, I'm the same as you, Aaron. I want, I want Duffy in right now. I think he'll be a great defender for us. But it's a very unrecent Celtic-type signing. Um, but... I can understand why we're reactionary to it just now because you think Wednesday was bad. See if we don't progress and do what we're supposed to do this season, it will be ten times worse. Yeah, 
I think she, in terms in terms of transfers, and we'll come to the transfers later. I, I get I get what you're saying overall, but that's why I'm that's why I'm saying you know as you're right. Next summer's the time for 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 change and, and all that sort of stuff, and maybe a realignment of goals in terms of going for Europe and things like that. On the signings, though, you know, to, to a certain extent, they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. We all complain about the projects. Um, and there's not enough starts coming in this this season. We've signed Barkas, signed Ajay, signed you know El Yunusi came back. We've signed Turnbull. We're going to sign Duffy. I mean, all of them bar Turnbull will go into the first eleven if we play three five two, which which we'll, we'll talk about. You know, play three five two. That's four starters right there. I mean, if. If we were only signing projects, the like likes of uh, Schweds and Bios and all that right now, we would all be criticising and packing. I think, okay, loans are short term and all that sort of thing. But I think for right now, I think it's a, I think it's the right thing to do. You get Barkas on, on what a four year deal, Turnbull on a four year deal, a Jetty on a four year deal. So. There is a wee bit, of, there is longevity there, but we need starters in order to get ourselves that title this year. So I'm not too critical of the transfer policy right now. The, the aims of the club overall, higher up, that's that's my concern, and I think that's what needs to change. Louis, I'll just ask a very very simple question: If we sell, if we sell Odson Edward, will you still be happy with Celtic's transfer strategy in this window? Well, no, I'd be gutted. I mean, I, 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 I don't want that to happen, but it's not happened yet. I'm, I'm, only, I'm, I'm only judging it on who's came in. If we lose some of our best players, then okay, it's going to even itself out a bit. But the, the, the it, it's the one that we can't tell, though. It just can't the, the, happen. The, the reason I asked, though, is that we've spent, spent a significant amount of money in this window. We've not made the Champions League. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. I don't mean to be negative, lads. I'm really, really sorry to bring the tone down. I really am, but we don't get through this window without selling somebody. I don't necessarily think it'll be Odson Edward, but if it's not him, you're probably looking the likelihood Ayer and in Cham. That's that's two extremely talented players that you're losing out your team. And if you want to sign guys like we are just now, Duffy's, you know, a 27 year old international goalkeeper from Athens on a four year deal etc Ayete guys from the Premier League and that level of calibre player you then need to make sure that there's money coming in and and I just don't see any circumstance in which we don't lose probably Olivier and Chairman Chris I in this window and, and I hate to say it but I, I think that's a, the reality here and that's something that we've not seen yet I feel that we're just front loading because I feel it's inevitable oh, but it, sorry to jump in but I get what you're saying but anybody but, but Eddie. Anybody else can go but Eddie. Just don't sell him. I'm sorry, I know Ayer is sometimes he's great at going into empty spaces and, and, and Cham's good when, when he wants to be, but they can go if it means that Eddie stays. Anybody? McGregor? <laughs> McGregor? No. Anybody but Eddie and McGregor and Tam. Can, can I ask, should we... Should we be scrambling about signing Shane Duffy, having been knocked out of Champions League, about to spend £5 million roughly outlay for a season? Or should we have signed a centre-half known that we wanted to play 3-5-2? Should we have went and signed a 3-4-5 million quid centre-half in January? 
And I'll say again, I want Duffy in, but but it's reactionary and it's not it's not where we should be at this point. It's inevitable because of the lack of planning. But what I will say is January's window was a bit of a mess, right? But if we had signed players in January, there's no you know, there wasn't much time for them to bed in. So I, I think this year has had an effect on that as well. I think if we had made key signings in January, you would have wanted to give them the second half of the season to see them bed in. That would have been cut short pretty quickly. But you're not, you're not telling me that Law foreseen that and that's why we've not signed off on the signings. Listen, that man sees a lot. <laughs> not, not, I, need to, I need to check the name of our podcast again. I think I've uh, dialed in the wrong call here. <laughs> no, I, I, Alan, I, 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 I want to take you back just, just very quickly. I want to take you back to your more positive days um, before you maybe became so entrenched in, in a, a cynical point of view. I remember in our WhatsApp group when it came out, and I, I, you know, I kid have exclusive um, that Barkas and Ajeti were going to sign. Remember, they were meant to be signing at the same time. Yep. And I'm sure you said, I've, I've no look back because I'm no one of them, but I'm sure you said that this could be our best transfer window in a long, long time. So is it just, has your thoughts changed now just because we're out of Europe? Because Alan, an, uh, Alan, we've got a couple more signings in since then. Uh, a couple more signings in, Louis, but uh, see when you don't make the Champions League, we wouldn't have banked on that money. But see going out at the second round qualifier... See at the end of the window, our squad will be. I think it's going to be two key players shot. Now, if we can replace them, great. But if the like for like is Shane Duffy and for Chris Ayer, um, and David Turnbull in for Olivier and Cham, are you asking me if I'm happy with that? And it's no disrespect to the players coming in because I, th- I both think they're talented players. You're not replacing like for like. So, Marvel, at the weekend, um, as it was mentioned earlier on, the start of having came out is the exact same one from last Wednesday. Um, Neil Lennon just gave a big fuck you to the fans and, and doubled down on his start of having and uh, tactics, played Christie up front. And we, you know, first half was absolutely rotten, turgid pish that we were all desperate for change at half-time. And, you know, again, to his credit, he made the change and he brought Clamal on um, at half-time, which, you know, doesn't often happen. Um, and then shortly afterwards, we changed to a 3-5-2. You saw Alexa Jetty come on as well uh, and obviously got a goal um, after a after a pass from, uh, you know, Ayer, who, who passed a, a defence who were socially distanced at the time. Um, but, yeah, it was a, a wonderful assist. Um, Neil Lennon doubling down is no massive surprise, but the change to 3-5-2 proved them, proved them wrong. You know, the, as more strikers come on the pitch, we got better. 3-5-2 is the answer, isn't it, Alan? I think Neil Lennon wants to play 3-5-2. He doesn't have the numbers to play 3-5-2 at the moment, whether it be fitness or actually centre-halves. For what it's worth as well, if we do want to play 3-5-2 consistently this season, we still need another centre-half in um, because if you're going to rely on Hattie Mohamed and Nir Beton as your um, rotation, then I'm not entirely confident in that because both have fitness issues. Um, I, I think it's became a thing now that because we played well in the second half with 3 5 2, I think Erin was spot on earlier. So even Celtic get the goal in the first half, that changes that game entirely. Um, if you don't get it, it's slightly different. 
I think the game opened up a hell of a lot. I think Motherwell need to maybe think about coming forward a little bit. And also the players took a lot of confidence from the goal. Um, and a wonderful goal it was. I think we have to point out Callum McGregor was exceptional and, and the finish was um, it was unbelievable from James Forrest. But I think he does want to play 3-5-2. I think we see it a lot more. I would probably prefer it now. Um, the problem is, again, and it probably does come back a little bit to, I don't know if, if you can play a 3-5-2 with Scott Brown sitting in front of three centre-halves. I think he's going to kill that space. Um, that's You're going to have... <sighs> You're going to have at least three players providing one of the centre half steps forward. You're going to have at least three players within, you know, 25 yards each other, all defensive players. And I think it's going to make it easier for teams to play against us, to play down the side. I, I'm not confident that you can do... feels like we've got two issues here, system and personnel. And there's one big issue with both. Um and I, I think it's something that we're, it's going to have to be revisited and do a wee bit of creative thinking. Um, and that, that'll have to come over the international break, I'm assuming, because strikers are going to be fit after that so he can play two up front. But he's then got to think about his personnel when he does go with that three-five-two system. I, I would tend to agree. I don't think it's straightforward because of the personnel situation. What I will say is the goal did change the game on Saturday because that changes the way Motherwell need to play. But even then, when we had the strikers in the pitch, you could see it was far more uncomfortable for the defenders in terms of where they were being pulled. So I would tend to lean towards wanting to play 3-5-2. But the one thing that we've not missed, we've not really mentioned here, sorry, is the amount of the ball that our left wing-back gets. Um, and again, I was probably going to throw him under the bus earlier on when we were talking about Brown, but he's a young guy but he's not hitting the mark attacking-wise in a side. And in a 3-5-2, playing the vast majority of league games for Celtic, you need to be far better in an attacking sense. So see if we want to play that system over the course of the season, we probably need another left wing back. Yep. I keep on hearing about how Lennon's desperate play a 3-5-2, and I don't doubt it. But back to what I was saying about the transfers, why bring an Elianusi straight away again then? Why is he the first one in the door if you're so desperate to play a 3-5-2? I, I, he doesn't fit into that system in my opinion I, I don't see him playing as one of the two up top and I don't see him he's definitely not going to play wing back so why is he the first man in the door if Lennon's so desperate to play a 3-5-2 so is there a disconnection between Lennon and the recruitment team I'm going to try and now be a bit more positive because I've come on here and been negative Nancy <laughs> I'll, um, I'll be positive on you but I fair and I think that um, if Elianus is fit then he'll, he'll pop on wherever he likes in the park. I don't think it really... I, I wouldn't get too hard up on can he play in a position. That doesn't seem to have... Uh, <laughs> that doesn't seem to factored in too much yet. Don't worry about that. Right. But, I mean, I think, Alan, you're spot on about Brown in terms of uh, Ayer. I think Ayer is the one who wants to bring it out for the back. I think what you see, especially in a three, is Brown kills that space. He completely kills the ability to do that, uh, which is... So I don't think he, it will work in for him in there. Um and Greg, I promised Gala would do it. I've spoken to Gala a lot about this. Greg Taylor, he cannot play left wing back for Celtic. I'm sorry. You need to be able to take your man on. And Greg, he looks petrified when one-on-one with somebody. I think in terms of delivery, if you can get a pass and he's, he's running in behind the fullback and running on to something and delivering, I think you see that there's something there and he's obviously had a few assists. And But in terms of he needs to stand a man up and take him on you look at the difference between Taylor and Frimpong I think you see just how far off it Greg Taylor is and secondly that might be my third point by this, by this point around the 3-5-2 if Frimpong is ever sitting on the Celtic bench again it's an absolute travesty like 
I can't believe watching that boy sit on the bench at the weekend or even in the European game. And I like Kilham, and I actually think Kilhamid is the right of a three. It probably fits quite well, but Jeremy Frimpong needs to play every week for Celtic if he's fit. All, all I could tell you, Sarah, was that you were back in the body bus. I'm not on that. There's a bit of a debate that I had. See the, the ball Taylor put across for Clamalla on the line? It was a bad ball, wasn't it? <laughs> a bad miss. Look at Eddie Snyder. See, see the point that Eric makes all about Greg. I'll see that the phrase that keeps coming to mind because he's, he's, he's played. He's played every game now. See that he's he not even having the threat of taking a fullback on. That's what's going to kill him because fullbacks now, right backs going up against him are now going to know he's. It's not even a case that he, he doesn't try to take a man on. It's very different when you think you need to shape up against somebody who's going to try and go by you. When you're shaping up against someone, you know, if he's not got a ball and you can just go and press him, you can press him hard. And that's what teams will start doing. And I think that's something that's going to become really, really apparent as you start to play the kind of teams higher up the league that are happy to press the ball. I'd, I'd really be very, very mindful of that. And I, I, I think we're spot on there. He's almost getting as bad as uh, last season, Lustig, with no legs. I think what we're seeing is, uh, you see Greg Taylor get so much of the ball because I think teams are comfortable with him being the out ball for Celtic because they're comfortable to know that there's no real threat there other than if he's running in behind and getting onto a pass. I think if he's getting the ball to feet, nine times out of ten he's going to be forced back, back the way. See what you were saying about Frimpong? Frimpong really did look fantastic when he came on. Um, Frimpong, you know, he's maybe not started as well as maybe he had finished at the the season or showed last season um, but he, I think you're right he's, he's got to start Elhamid I think I think he's got a lot to offer but I think you're right I think if you're going to play a back three he has to be part of the back three he shouldn't be playing out wide because we did see him kind of caught for pace Frimpong but from, in, a, in a purely attacking sense it just brings so much more to the table you would think that he would have to be he, he has to be first choice again surely Fairly comfortable with our two right-backs. Sorry, Alan, I'll let you back in uh, very quickly. But going back to the point I made about Celtic full-backs uh, in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 or a 5-3-5-2, they need to get forward and they need to attack. And when you've got somebody who's so good at it, so electrifying, his pace is electrifying. I'd, I've, you know, there's one of the, it's one of the guys when you see him and you just see him motoring away from, from the marker and you think that's undefendable at certain points. He has to be in that pitch. He has to be because he really had something and he terrorised Ferenc Faros. I bet, they, I bet you after that game, they were absolutely delighted. They, didn't, they only had to face that for 20 minutes or whatever it was. I, I think just the, the thing I'd point out as well is that, see what we were saying about Frimpong needing to start games? He needs to start these type of games as well. See when teams are, you know, Celtic Park, big, wide, long, ideal, because you need something that can try and See if teams do come and attack you. You know, you'll notice when, when we get corners or when we're trying to counter-attack, maybe from set pieces, they'll leave him up. He's a real, real threat from there. He's a real threat from picking up the ball from deep and driving on. He's dynamic. See, these sluggish performances we've been talking about, he is somebody that can really, really change that. And these type of home games at Celtic Park, the narrow pitches might be slightly different, but see, when you're playing on that surface, you really need to give guys that can dynamic and make things happen. He is 100% that type of player. 
and I think we've seen that as early as I think we forget how bad the first 34 minutes were against Aki's in the first game of the season until Frimpong for the first goal drives inside and takes three players out of the game and it's not just about him standing up and going down the line I think what you see is he's got this real desire to just go and make things happen whether that's coming inside with the ball and creating space out wide or it's taking the ball wide and getting past his man and delivering I just think he's just got this burning desire to make things happen to get forward which is why he needs to play We've got a question on uh, Twitter, well not a question, but a, a comment on Twitter. Um, Brian says, and this is, I want to hear what you think of this, uh, Alan. If the three-five-two works, then why don't we stick to it? We Frimpong has to be on, on that team. And if need be, play Forrest up top with, with a striker until the others are fit enough. We've seen James Forrest play up front previously. Is, would he be a better option, do you think, playing up front than Ryan Christie in a, in a three-five-two if they're not all fit enough? If you're playing, if you're asking him to play up as a two, he's not going to be playing as a. He's going to be trying to find pockets of space. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not too hot in the idea. I think James Forrest is best when he see when he picks the ball up wide, looking inside, and he can, you know, make those triangles with other players. That's what you've seen, um, you know, in, in, in the games recently because he's fairly heavily criticised, and no surprise that I, I don't really see it. Um, but see when he passes the ball inside and things start to happen, that's, that's when he's at his best. I think they set up a lovely move at the weekend for El Hamid who fired that across. And it was all because he picked the ball in. Instead of driving against the defender, he takes him inside, opens the space outside him and creates. I just don't know if he would be as comfortable doing that in those kind of central areas uh, as a two. I think the, the guy we were talking about on the other side earlier trying to find a position for Mohamed El Yunusi, I think he is someone that would maybe enjoy that slightly freer role as part of a two up front if you know someone was holding that space. So I, I think if you're playing a two up and you're trying to find a space for a, you know, a, maybe a redundant winger position, I think El Yunusi would be be the one that would get a nod for me. We we don't have a, a great deal of time left, so quickly um, kind of touch on the transfer news. Since last week's podcast, we obviously signed David Tumble, who we mentioned earlier on. He was announced the day after the, the Champions League exit, which was a wee bit of a shame on him. Um, but, you know, Tumble's one that I've been, I've been really looking forward to. I was really hoping that we would go in and get him after it fell through last year. It's been a long journey for the boy, um, not just physically, but mentally, having to go through the disappointment of what happened to him and missing out and then, you know, he's came through the other side. He's put in some really good performances so far for Motherwell this season, and then the deal has been done. Um, how do we feel about Tumble? Briefly, excited for what he can bring, and, and do you expect to see him much this this season? Firstly, quickly before I touch on Tumble, I want to say that I'm really excited about Ayeti, and I think in terms of a striker and his movement and his awareness for his goal at the weekend and the way he finished it, he excites me a lot of Hooper about him in terms of the way he finished it and stuff. Um, and on Tumble, similar to yourself, I've been, I was a champion of Tumble. I watched Marlowell um, Hibs recently. I think I tweeted about Tumble. He looked, he looked head and shoulders above anyone on the pitch today when I watched him as well. Um, and I would like to hope that he would feature a fair amount. And uh, harking back to what Alan was talking about earlier, I get the feeling that Encham will probably go. And that obviously looks like Rogic is away as well. So I think that looks like Tumble will, will probably play a fair part in the season and I would hope to see that as well. Um, anyway, I think he's not played a lot of football with his injury, so he's obviously personally going to want to play 
uh, and get a lot of minutes because he's going to want to continue his development. So I would hope that that's what that was what we'll see this season from him. And in fact, I was disappointed he never gave him twenty minutes at the weekend. I think I definitely think he'll. I think they did that on purpose. I get the impression that there might have been a wee gentleman's agreement that he didn't play against them because they were their first opponents. But I think he will get game time for us this season. I mainly do. Touched on it, there, there needs to be an injection in there. Now, if I mean, Brown's no, we, we've already um, um, made our points. Browntown's Brown gone. He's gone. But then you've got Cham, who isn't always as consistent as we would hope he would be. Christie, whose form's been a bit of erratic uh, over the last few weeks. McGregor's the only one in there that nobody's really questioned. So that midfield that could do with a bit more dynamism and, 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 and another good player, basically, as simple as that in there. So I think over the course of the season, we will see Tumble. I'm really looking forward to him. It, don't, it doesn't remind me of Armstrong, but his form, he, he stood out at Dundee United, Armstrong, and Turnbull stood out at Motherwell in the same way. Uh, and he's also got that goal-scoring threat that Armstrong had, which is something that I'm really liking to see. Christie's the guy that's supposed to get goals from us from midfield more regularly. We're seeing that his shooting's a wee bit all over the place. I'm hopeful that Turnbull can um, share the load with him there, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. Yeah, I, I think... The guys are pretty much spot on. I think the thing that excites me about David Turnbull is, well, you know, people might watch some of the other teams a bit more regularly. They might not watch them at all. So when you watch Motherwell, you've probably not seen a player stand out like David Turnbull um, in a, a number of years. The way he receives the ball, very elegant, you know, doesn't look rushed. And I always think that's a sign, especially with midfielders that are playing in those compact areas. Looks like he's got time. He always looks comfortable. Doesn't look like he's flapping or panicking. And that's, I think, that's maybe what we need a wee bit. Um, just that wee bit of guile. And I hope that he can bring it. It's just where we try and fit him in. Um, but you know, there's plenty of games this season, so um, I think there's plenty of game time for him. Let's try and keep positive, Alan. Um, we're we're also just waiting on the announcement, the official announcement. But it looks as if Shane Duffy is is coming. Um, one year loan deal, big Irish shit house at the you know to rough people up, but uh, you know physical presence at the back, which I think we lack sometimes, and, and we've seen um, our centre half struggle with physical presences. He'll not be taking any shite. He'll get the tunes on the dressing room. I want to be positive about any negatives. Any negatives you want to throw as a a lack of pace, maybe? No, I'm I'm going to try and remain positive for the for the end segment here. Um, watched a bit of him before. He's definitely going to replace Jozo in terms of having a wild lunge every so often. Um, so I see that as a positive, though, not a negative. Just to, just in case you're, yep. you're concerned. Um, as long as it's more Jozo and less Gordon, we'll <laughs> um, I I think he's he, he's not. I wouldn't imagine he is somebody that Nick Hammond's brought to Neil Lennon's attention. I, I think that's one that we've maybe been a, made aware through agents that, that he's available and we've gone down that route. I think he can add something. I, I do. I, I hate saying it because it feels like something that I would cringe if I heard said, you know, at a weekend game, you know, but we, we do just lack a little bit of nastiness. Um, and I don't think I've said that in a long time. Um, about Celtic but we really do just look a bit light we don't know when to fill we don't know when to give away fills you know El Hamid against Ferenc Faros could easily stop that even after he's made the mistake by giving away a fill Shane Duffy has many many flaws I'm sure and you know what I think he'll be okay in this league I don't think that I think the big spaces in behind him that people are worried about you know I, I think he 
he'll probably be about similar physical profile in terms of speed to Chris Julien. So I think he'll manage fine. You know, Chris Julien's not been exposed by running in behind. He's been exposed by physicality and guys bumping up against him and struggling with it. I don't think Shane Duff will do that. Very good in the air, very strong. And he's got, a, you know, a really good eye for goal as well. Um, if you look back over his his career. So I think it's a good sign and forget about the money. I, I probably don't care too much about the money in, in a lot of respects. Um, I, I think it's a good deal. I think Celtic will be happy with it and um, it'll, it'll add a little bit of what we need. His name is Shane Patrick Michael Duffy, so I was saying sign him up as soon as I searched it. That's sad. That's it. Um, make him, make him captain. And I think in terms of being in the middle of a back three, he's probably exactly what we need right now. You know, with the, the right players around him, he's probably exactly what we need. And like you say, Alan, I think if you watch him and the way he attacks the ball from set pieces, him and Julian, I, I would hate to defend against the two of them. And hopefully Duffy can defend set pieces a bit better than Julian does because I think for someone who attacks the ball so well in the opposition half, I'd like to see Julian attack it as well from from defending set pieces. So hopefully Duffy can help us improve that aspect as well because I think we're really weak there. I think you're right. I think you both call it. Duffy's an opportunistic signing, but I don't see a problem with that because I think it's an opportunity that's a good one to take in terms of what we need in the middle there. Julian, see his physicality. Sometimes I think it's concentration as much as his physicality or his temperament because the Dykes ones where everybody kind of started pinpointing he's struggling to deal with physicality. But I think he let him get under his skin in terms of how he then approached the game. Duffy seems as if he's the sort of guy who wouldn't let that happen and would be a welcome addition against Ayer and Julian who... Well, Stuffy has his own rough edges. They've got other rough edges that they may comp- he'll complement, if you know what I mean. So, I, as much as it's an opportunistic sign, uh, it's one that I think it, it's it's going to strengthen us. I'm really quite pleased about it. Um, the other bit of signing news today was that Scott Robertson signed a new three-year deal, which um, which I think is really positive. I've liked what I've saw from him. So, so let's see. We let's hope that we see a wee bit more of him as we go along. Maybe we're struggling for game time, but you never know, he might go out alone this, this season. Um, there was also the Europa League draw today um, with us heading to either Latvia or San Marino. Um, although there's, I think there's a tie, the ties, the two teams have still yet to play, obviously, so we'll find out pretty soon exactly who it is and then we can look forward to it then. I kind of wanted to hear what people thought about the Europa League and, and how important it is to us right now, but we'll need to leave that for another day, unfortunately, because we've, we've run out of time. Um, Aaron, it was it was great having you, man. No, thank you. Uh, really enjoyed it, and well done on all of the work that's going on at the Cynic right now. Um, new website, everything looks fantastic, uh, and I'm just proof that if you fanboy hard enough, you'll get your opportunity to come on. Listen, there's a, there's plenty of fanboys in the Cynic um, that have managed to, you know, be part of all. Alan, Alan, you've you've been a podcast podcast legend, pundit for many a year, um, and you've been great tonight. Thanks for having me, mate. Enjoyed it. I'll be Captain Positive, yeah, Captain Positive as ever. Um, Chris Omani. Oi, pleasure as always. The old the old, the old workhorse. You like the Scott Brown of the podcast. Didier Deschamps, actually. I'm the, I make this podcast tick. It's been a pleasure being on with Alan and Aaron tonight. So thanks, guys. Enjoyed it. What about me, dickhead? Oh, you're a tit. 
Thanks. Um, listen, Aaron did. Um, he did mention the fact that the Cynic have got a got a new platform. Um, I haven't even mentioned it, and I'm the host, which is terrible. But um, we have moved to our own platform. There's a lot of work has went into it. Um, obviously, we have the, the Patreon, which is still going to be running until the end of December. But the, the um, our own platform is now up and running, which you can subscribe to and switch over if you're currently on the Patreon. Um, the website looked fantastic. There's a lot of effort has went into it behind the scenes. There's articles up there. Alan, you had an article up um, this week, I believe, the first article as well. So um, if you want to, I don't think it would be very negative, Alan, as negative. No, it's not. It's very positive, and there's an even more positive piece going up on Friday morning about Celtic's greatest ever player. Fantastic. The app for the uh, the Cynic is coming out soon, and you'll hear a lot more of that in, in podcasts coming up. I've been Louis McCaffrey. I've nearly got my second name right tonight. Um, this has been a pleasure. You know, hopefully a bit cathartic. We've all calmed down from last week. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you down the road. 